Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Nader Mansour and I pray this message will draw you closer to Jesus. Does anybody know the verse in the Bible from which this title comes? Yes, Matthew 24 and verse 14 which tells us, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then the end shall come. How many people want the end to come? All hands should be up. Some people have both hands up. That's good. Thank you. Hands down. Now, the next question is, why do you want the end to come? To see Jesus so we can go to heaven? Any other reasons? End of suffering. Yes, that's a very important reason. Sorry, what was that? Sick of sin. Amen. That's true. Yes, many times, you know, we think and wonder and look wistfully to heaven and think, you know, it's taking, taking a while. When will the end come? We really want the end to come. And if we search our hearts, we'll find that we want the end to come for a number of reasons. And some of the reasons have been mentioned, and maybe not all of them have been mentioned. But we need to sometimes perhaps be reminded of the reality of the world that we're living in and the conditions that are in the world. Because God's people have a very, very solemn responsibility to actually bring about the coming, the end. We have a responsibility to, to bring about the end. And that verse tells us how that end is to come. But before we go to the verse, I just want to share with you a few things that are, have been really heavy on my heart for quite a while. And uh, I pray that the Lord will impress your heart also with that. As we look at the condition in the world, of the world that we're living in, sometimes we need to be reminded of the grim reality that we're living in a world plagued by sin. And although many of us are very sheltered and very blessed and very uh, covered by the hand of God, the world is a place where Satan is causing havoc among God's people, the people that he has created. I'll just share a few things with you, not many, but just so I can perhaps remind some of us, some of these things we know, some of these things perhaps we don't know, but just remind some of us the condition of the world that we're living in which will, will perhaps highlight the burden that heaven has to bear every day. For example, facts and statistics reveal to us that 12 million children die every year. That means 23 boys and girls every minute die of hunger or diseases related to hunger. This is just regarding hunger and those people who do not uh, have access to food. How many people enjoyed breakfast today? How many people appreciated breakfast today knowing there are many people in the world do not have that privilege? Praise the Lord. 23 boys and girls every minute. Isn't that shocking? Every 3.6 seconds someone dies of hunger in the world. So if I were to count one, two, Three, four, someone's just passed away. It's a really sad world we're living in. And you know, every soul that passes away has a place in Christ's heart. We need to be reminded and ask the Spirit to lay on our hearts the burden of souls because these are good reasons why the end should come. Because the people out there are not having breakfast lunch and dinner like we do many times. And they're living in misery. 
and they're dying in misery. And we need to remember that the end needs to come many times for their sakes more than us. Did you know that for the price of one missile, a school full of hungry children could eat lunch every day for five years? Do you know they're still dropping missiles in Afghanistan? Isn't it sad? It's a very sad world we're living in. The souls of men, the lives of people are very, very cheap. But God's people should not forget about that. Many times we, we're shielded and we don't want to hear about these things and we say we'll just wait for the coming. We don't realize the world we're living in. We're very sheltered and very blessed and we need to be appreciative of God's blessings. Here's a few more things. Today across the world, 1.3 billion people live on less than one dollar a day. That's a large percentage of people. How many people do we have in the world today? Does anyone know? It's about 6.5. 6.5 billion. 1.3 billion of these people, that's about one-sixth, live on less than one dollar a day. Can you live on less than one dollar a day? What quality of life would you get if you had to live on less than one dollar a day? Three billion people live on less than two dollars a day. That's nearly half of the world's population. Remember, these people are the purchase of the blood of the Son of God. Christ came and died for these people as much as he died for you and me. And we have a responsibility towards these people. 1.3 billion have no access to clean water, and 3 billion have no access to sanitation. 2 billion have no access to electricity. When was the last time you asked, you thanked God for having access to electricity? Do you know what it's like to have to live with no electricity? 2 billion people know how that, what that is like. Now these are some of the things that we need to keep in mind, just turn your Bibles to Matthew 24, as we look at that text together. Matthew chapter 24 in the New Testament. And after having, looking, having looked at some of these figures, now I'll ask you again, why do you want the end to come sooner? Do we have good reason when we are confronted with some of these facts? Do we have good reason to desire the end to come sooner? You know, it's a very good reason when we say, I want to, the end to come sooner because I want to go and be in heaven and be with Jesus. But uh, rather than thinking of what we want and where we want to go, have you ever considered, I'd like the end to come sooner for the sake of these people, for the sake of this suffering and this chaos that these people have to go through? Matthew twenty-four fourteen tells us, as we said before, Jesus speaking to his disciples, he says, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness. And then shall the end come. In other words, the end will not come before what happens. For the gospel is preached. So in order for us to bring the end closer, what must we do? Preach the gospel. It's, there are two things in, these, in this verse that we need to focus on in order to carry out our duty in bringing the end sooner. First thing, Jesus said, this gospel of the kingdom must be preached. We must first of all identify what is this gospel. And the next thing we need to do is to do what with it? 
preach it in all the world. So our step one is to identify that gospel, because only the true gospel is what will finish it. Let's see what the gospel is founded on. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 11 of 1 Corinthians chapter 3 tells us the foundation and the basis of the gospel. Now keep in mind, this is the gospel. When Jesus says in this gospel of the kingdom, he's meaning one specific gospel. It's the gospel that he preached. Because he says, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world. So we must make sure, first step, in order to bring the end, in order to carry out Christ's instruction, we must have the same gospel that he preached. And we'll see what the foundation of this gospel is. Verse 11 says, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Step number one, the, the gospel, this gospel that Jesus preached, has Jesus Christ as the foundation stone. And what is it about Jesus Christ? We're very familiar with this text, Matthew 16. When Jesus asked his disciples who he was, I think we all know the answer. What did Peter say? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And what did the Christ answer him? Yes? Okay. It was a revelation from the Father, and he said, Upon this rock, I will build my church. Let's look at it. Matthew 16, verse 18. I just want to see that we all know it before turning to it, because it's good that we know these texts. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. Verse 18, Jesus says to Peter after Peter gave that confession. But I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock, that is the declaration Peter gave, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And what was Peter's declaration? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. So the fact that Jesus is the Son of God is the foundation of the gospel. In order for us to have the right gospel, we must have that as the foundation. If we don't have Jesus as the Son of God, do we have the right gospel? We don't. Can we finish the work? No. And the condition that the world is in will continue. This is why we were talking about some of these things like last night, Brother Brendan shared with us about the correct understanding of who God is, who His Son is. Because we have a job in front of us to do. The reason why we have these truths is not so we can win arguments and print books and prove that people are wrong. What is the reason that God sends us these truths? To sanctify us in order that we might preach this gospel in all the world so that the end can come. This is our mission. This is our focus. Because Christ instructed us to do just that, as we shall see in a minute. So this is the true gospel. Let's just check a few more verses. The true gospel has Christ, the Son of God, at its foundation. Romans chapter 1, first few verses. Verse 1 says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, verse 3, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. So who is the gospel of God concerning? Concerning his son, Jesus Christ. So Paul understood that the foundation of the gospel is the Son of God. It's a very important fact. Mark says the same thing in his gospel. Mark chapter 1 and verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So the gospel is intertwined and founded on the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus identified that only this gospel, when it is preached in all the world, then the end will come. 
And so in order for the devil to prolong the end, what will the devil do? He will have another gospel. Because there will be a very neat trick if the devil convinces people of another gospel and they become convinced of the idea that if they preach that gospel, the end will come. And so they try and preach that gospel, but the end is not coming. The end is not nearer. And so it's a very important thing to, first of all, rather than run ahead and say, oh, it says here, preach, so we're going to preach to the whole world, you have to make sure you have the right gospel. It is no use preaching to the world the wrong gospel. For example, the Jews rejected Jesus as the Son of God, didn't they? Did they have the gospel anymore or not? No. Now, the Jews were entrusted with sharing the light of God's truth with the whole world. When they rejected the Son of God, were they able to do that? Did they continue their forms and ceremonies? Did they continue as a nation? They did. Did they continue to win converts? Yes, they very well did. But did that bring the end any closer? Did they fulfill God's mission? Not at all. God had to establish another group to take that to the world. The same thing today, if a group of people, if a denomination, a church, a group of believers rejects the very foundation of the gospel, that Jesus is the Son of God, can they finish the work? No, they can't. But can they still continue working and can they win converts? Yes, but that will not bring the end any nearer. And we need to realize that the devil has a deception. And this is why we talk about some of these things. This is why we believe that it is very important to understand that Jesus is the Son of God. The lives of billions of people is involved in it, as we saw earlier. So, the devil has a very clever deception. He has another gospel. Paul talks about it in Galatians chapter 1. Let's look at it briefly as we see the counterfeit of the true gospel. Galatians chapter 1. This is the devil's perversion of the truth. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 down to 8. And it says there in verse 6, Paul says, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. So first of all, from this verse we learn that there is a another gospel. But notice verse 7, Paul says, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. So Paul is saying, but really there is no other gospel, it's only a perversion of the gospel of Christ. Now he tells us what this gospel of Christ is. Verse 8, But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. So Paul said the true gospel was the gospel that he preached to them. He said there is a perversion of that gospel that is another gospel, but it's not really another. And he said, even if an angel from heaven comes down and preaches anything different to what Paul preached, let him be accursed. Now, these are some serious words. We read in Romans, Paul wrote Romans. What did he say the gospel of God was concerning? His son, Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting. Verse 8 tells us that the true gospel was the gospel that Paul preached. So all we have to do is see what did Paul preach that was the gospel. And in order to do that, we just go to Acts chapter 9, and we'll see what is it that Paul preached regarding the gospel, just to confirm our findings. Acts chapter 9 and verse 20. 
Because Paul said this is the true gospel that he preached. We'll see what is it that Paul preached in Acts chapter 9 and verse 20. It's good to hear the pages turning. Like Pastor Des, I really like to hear the pages turning in the Bibles. So if your neighbor doesn't have a Bible, make sure you share with them. And uh, have a look at Acts chapter 9 verse 20. It says there, And straightway he, speaking of Paul, preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. So Paul said the true gospel is the gospel that we preach. What is it that Paul preached? Christ is the Son of God. Paul said there is a perversion of this gospel, which is another gospel. Now, if Paul, first thing he preached that Jesus was the Son of God upon his conversion, what did he believe about Jesus before that? If the first thing that Paul preached after his conversion was that Jesus is the Son of God, then he must have not believed that fact before. Do you see that? And so this is the first thing that Paul preached. Why is it that this is the first thing that Paul preached, do you think? Thank you. It's the foundation. We found earlier that the foundation of the gospel is Jesus is the Son of God. In order for Paul to preach the true gospel, he has to build on the foundation. And that foundation is that Christ is the Son of God. So it's very important to have the right gospel. This is a perversion of the gospel. Paul continues speaking of this other gospel to the Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul now is speaking further to the Corinthians about this other gospel. Notice what this other gospel involves as we just uncover more of this counterfeit. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 3 says, But I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, stop. So Paul here is saying there is another Jesus that he did not preach. Who was the Jesus that Paul preached? The Son of God. So who would this other Jesus be? Not the Son of God. So he would be either pretending, playing a role, a metaphor, or any such thing that we hear a lot about today. Paul said this is another Jesus. This is a Jesus that we did not preach. Okay, let's continue. What else is involved here? He said, another Jesus whom we have not preached. Or if you receive another spirit which ye have not received, or another gospel which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. So Paul says, when we have another Jesus, we have another gospel. And he told the Galatians, which is not another, it's only a perversion of the true gospel. So the devil is very busy today getting people to believe in another Jesus, in another gospel. Especially people who know the text in Matthew 24. And he's very busy getting those people going around the world preaching the wrong gospel, thinking that they're bringing the end sooner. But really they are not. Which is why we are still here on earth. So it's very important to remember that. And as Matthew 24, 14 told us, first thing, we must have the true gospel. So if those people who don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, they can never finish the task, then who does this job fall upon? It's upon those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Do you know anybody who believes that? That's you and that's also me. Now, it's very important because this is a responsibility that's upon us. If we believe the true gospel, that's the first step. Jesus said, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world. 
We got the first step. We have the true gospel, the one that is founded on the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. Next step is to do what with it now? Preach it in all the world. Now, we realize that this job can only be accomplished by those who have the true gospel. That's you and me. So the next thing we need to do is preach it in all the world. What is the world population? We said earlier it was 6.5 billion. We're in what year? 2007. Okay, now I'll just go through some figures with you to give you a bit of a reality check as to the mission that is before us. Because if this is the instruction that Christ gave us, and I think most of us put our hands up that we wanted the end to come, this is how we are to do it. We'll just look at some world population a little bit prior. In 1804, who would like to estimate for me how many people were in the world? One billion in 1804. Do you think the job would have been easy in 1804 to tell or preach the gospel to the world? There was one billion. By 1850, we have almost 1.2 billion. It took about 50 years to gain 200 million. By 18, 1927, we have 2 billion. Is the job getting easier? It's getting harder. 2 billion people. Okay, and we go down the line. 1960, we reached 3 billion. Figures are climbing very fast now. Notice how, many, how much long it took to get the second billion. It took about 120 years to get from 1 billion to 2 billion. Within 30 years, we got from 2, 2 billion to 3 billion. By 1975, we have... 4 billion, and we come down to 2006 figures, which is very close to now, 2007, we have 6.5 billion. 6.5 billion, how many is that? Well, say it in a minute, that's 6,500 million. That is a lot of people. Now, these people are broken up roughly this way. This is basically what we're looking at. This is the field of our labor. This is where Jesus said, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness of all nations. Now, the world is made up of many different beliefs. 33% of that are Christians. Now, when we say Christians, that includes any group of people that claim the Bible as their rule of faith. So that includes Catholics, Protestants, and all the many different sects and denominations that in some way, shape, or form claim the Bible as their basis. Now, we found earlier that many of these Christians, do they believe in the true gospel or not? No. So in other words, they also need to hear the true gospel. So don't feel very comforted that the majority of that graph is Christians, and we'll say we'll worry about the rest. Another part of that is the Muslims, about 21%. Non-religious, 16%. Now, these are percentages. Sometimes it's a bit uh, better if we put them in figures. We'll just put some figures there. Christians make up about 2.1 billion. Muslims is 1.3 billion. And non-religious is 1.1 billion. That's a lot of people. Hinduism, 900 million, close to 1 billion, and the rest. So this is the field of our labor. This is where we are to go and preach the gospel, which we claim to have. That's a responsibility that we have. Christ didn't give us the gospel so that we can uh, learn some texts and show those who don't agree with us that they're wrong. He said the reason we have the gospel is so we can preach it to the world. Why? Because the end can only come after that's done. God does not enjoy seeing 23 boys and girls dying of hunger every 
minutes, does he? But while we don't think about it, perhaps while we're eating our dinner or sleeping, God sees that every single minute, every single second. And he has given his people the commission to bring the end sooner. That's the responsibility that we have. Now these are the figures before us, but the figures are climbing very fast. Every second, five people are born and two people die. A net gain of three people. Every second, three people arrive on the planet. Do you think these three people will need to hear about the true gospel? Are we telling three people a second the gospel? So we're fighting a losing battle. Let's be realistic. People are born faster than we can reach them. And the way the condition is happening today in the world, it looks like the end is going to be even further every second that passes. Because Jesus says the end will come when the gospel is preached in all the world. We need something to enable us to reach these people if we really want the end to come. If we really want to end all this misery and suffering in the world. 38 countries are primarily unevangelized. That's about 1.6 billion. You would think that in this day and age, most countries have heard about the gospel. There's about 38 countries who have no official or proper evangelical work done. 1.6 billion people. And they're growing three every second. So throughout the course, we've been talking now for about half an hour. We've gained so many more people. If you count it out every second, three people, in an hour you get about 10,800 people arriving on planet Earth. So while we were having breakfast this morning, the population of the world grew by 10,800 people. What have we done to reach these people with the gospel? While we were singing our songs and preparing for the meeting, the world grew another 10,800 people. Is, is the reality of it dawning on your mind that we have a task that is really daunting before us? And we have a measure of responsibility to the problems that are happening in the world because God has given us the solution. God has given us what to do. These people are starving for food as we saw, but more especially, these people are starving for the gospel. The gospel that you and I have. We have a responsibility before God. So how are we going to reach these people? What are we going to do? That's a question that every believer in the true gospel have to ask themselves if they're really sincere in wanting to follow the command of Christ. We have to sit down and pray and ask, Lord, how is it that we reach these people? Do we really want the end to come? Or are we content with the blessings and the comforts that God has blessed us with and saying, well, when he comes, I'll be ready. We have a measure of responsibility to bring that coming a lot closer. So what can we do? There are a few things that we can do. For example, the internet is a great tool that reaches a lot of people. We can preach the gospel using modern technology. We'll use the internet. How many people think that's a good idea? I do. We're actually doing that right now. We're broadcasting what we're saying over the internet so people can hear it. Now it's a very good tool and many people have been reached through the internet and heard the truth. A lot of emails we receive, people hearing the truth for the first time regarding the Father and the Son, and they really appreciate it. Have you ever wondered how many people in the world, what's the percentage of the world that actually use the internet? 
I wondered about that myself. How many do you think? What percentage of the world use the internet? Okay, we have a few figures. That's true, it's very close. You would initially think that the majority of the world uses the internet, but the figures are actually the exact opposite. Only 16.9 of the world population use the internet. That's about 1.1 billion. In other words, that leaves us about 5.4 billion who do not use or access the internet. How can someone who doesn't have access to electricity use the internet? How can someone living on less than a dollar a day use the internet? So the internet will do a lot of good work reaching 1.1 billion people. What about all the others? How are we going to reach them? What can we do? Well, someone might have the good idea, maybe we will use television. Television is more common than internet. We will have a free-to-air satellite channel that will broadcast the gospel 24 hours a day. And that way we will reach more people. Well, we read earlier that half the world, nearly 3 billion people, struggle to survive on less than $2 a day. Do you think these people have television? That's about half the world population. How are we going to reach those? Now, while television might do a lot of good, what about the people who do not have access to that? How much do we have a burden on our souls regarding these people? So what can we do? Perhaps we will send them Bibles. We'll send these people that don't have any electricity, that don't have television or internet, we'll send them literature to read. That's a good way to reach the gospel to them. But nearly a billion people entered the 21st century unable to read a book or sign their names. When was the last time that you thanked God that you could read and write? That's a real blessing, considering that there are people in the world who cannot read or write their names. In other words, you send them the Bible, but it's no good to them. They can't read the Bible in here. The only Bible they can read is what Bible? That Bible. You and me are the Bible that some people can read. The only Bible that they can read. Furthermore, more than 90% of all Christian materials are in English, but only 8% of the world speaks English. Isn't that sad? Have you been blessed with the gift of tongues? Are you using it to reach those people that are locked away behind another tongue? You see, it's a really daunting task to reach the world with the gospel. We have to realize that, and we have to admit that, we have to be realistic. God has given us something to accomplish, not in our own strength. When Christ told his disciples to preach the gospel, he told them that they will receive something. He said, but you shall receive, what? Power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Notice what they will do when they receive that power. And you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. How will they do it? The power of God. Did they do it? Yes, Paul said the gospel was preached to every creature. I'll ask you a question. How many people do you think were in the world? What was the world population during the apostolic times? Have you ever wondered how many people they had to reach? That's right. There's about 200 million people in the world. That's 0 0.2 billion. 
And they had to reach 200 million people. Jesus don't, didn't tell them, okay, go ahead and start preaching. He told them, you know what? You have to wait until you shall receive what? Power. You can't do that on your own. You need power from on high to reach 200 million people. How many do we have to reach again? 6.5 billion. How much more is that? That is 6.3 billion more than they had to reach. Now, if they needed God's power to reach that many people, how much more do we need God's power? And hopefully some of these things that I'm sharing with you will, will convince you that the task is utterly impossible in our own power. We can't do it. And if we really want the end to come sooner, we have to pray and ask the Lord to send us that power. And we have to do everything that is in our power to enable God's Holy Spirit to be poured out upon us. Now that's how, what the disciples did. We're told how they did that, how they asked for that power. In Review and Herald, March 2, 1897, tells us how it was done. It was by the confession and forsaking of sin, by earnest prayer and consecration of themselves to God, that the early disciples prepared for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. The same work, only in greater degree, must be done now. What did the disciples do in order to receive the early rain? Confessing and forsaking sin, earnest prayer and consecration of themselves to God. Do you know why? They realized that they had the daunting task of sharing the gospel with 200 million people. Do you realize the task that we have before us? We have to share the gospel with the whole world. We don't really have to do it. We have the choice of either we can do it or not. But I know that all those who love Jesus will love to fulfill the things that he says. We do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Another statement, Review and Herald, January 12, 1886. Now, read this carefully with me and see what it says. Many who think quite well of themselves and approve of others laboring and feeling the burden of souls are doing nothing themselves. The Lord plainly states what he thinks of those who sit at ease while others do the work. They are represented by the slothful man in the parable. And that's the parable of Matthew 25 of the servant who received the talent. And what did he do with it? He buried it in the ground. We're told here about a group of people who approve of others' labor, but they are doing nothing themselves. Is that you? Is that me? Do you realize that we have a measure of responsibility in what is going in the, on in the world today? I'll just illustrate this for you quickly. If you found a cure for cancer, and you had it in your pocket, and you walked through a cancer ward in a hospital where you could hear the cries of the dying people, you could actually smell that. And you walked through, you walked through that ward, and you took the elevator, and you went out, and you had the cure in your pocket. Do you think there is a measure of responsibility upon you for all these people that die of cancer? God has given us the cure for the cancer of sin that is in the world. And we have a measure of responsibility to our brothers and sisters who do not have many of the blessings that we have in order to bring the end sooner. What we really need to do is 
examine our hearts and see, are we fulfilling? Am I? Ask yourself that question. Am I fulfilling the commission that Christ has given us to preach the gospel to all the world? We're told we can only do it through the power that God gives us from on high. Zechariah 10.1, you don't have to go there. It tells us that we're to do something. We are to ask rain in the time of the latter rain. It says there, ask ye of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. Do you think it's time for the latter rain? It's time for the latter rain. And the Bible tells us to ask. You know, many times we quote the verse that says, ask and ye shall receive. And it's very true. But many times we do not know what to ask for. God actually tells us what to ask for. He says, listen, you need the latter rain. Ask for the latter rain. You need it because the end needs to come. And God tells us very plainly, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. We need to ask and plead for that spirit. We need to realize and be reminded of the world that we're living in. It's easy to forget when we have the comforts of home and bed and meals and electricity and all these things. It's easy to forget that some people in the world, many people in the world, don't have any of these things. And if it's not for your sake and my sake, but at least for their sake, let us bring the end sooner and end their suffering. We can do that. We need to ask for the latter rain. We're told how to do that. It says, Do not rest satisfied that in the ordinary course of the season, rain will fall. Ask for it. The growth and perfection of the seed rests not with the husbandman. God alone can ripen the harvest. But man's cooperation is required. God's work for us demands the action of our mind, the exercise of our faith. You know what that means? That means we are not to sit down and wait and say when the Lord is ready, He will pour out the latter rain. What are we to do? We are to ask for it. And I hope and pray that some of these figures and statistics will inspire us to really ask for it. Not for our sakes, but for the sake of others who do not have the blessings that we have. It continues by saying, The convocations of the church, as in camp meetings, that's right here, the assemblies of the home church, and all occasions where there is personal labor for souls are God's appointed opportunities for giving the early and the latter rain. I'll ask you a question. Why did you come to camp this year? Don't answer, but just think about it. Did you only come to fellowship and catch up with friends and receive a blessing? Or do we come together to ask for the power that God has promised us, realizing that our labor, the field of our labor is the world, realizing that most of the world need to hear the gospel, realizing that this responsibility is upon our shoulders, especially we who claim and profess to believe the true gospel, the gospel that Paul and Christ preached, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We have a measure of responsibility with that gospel. Now notice the beautiful promise. Let us with contrite hearts pray most earnestly that now, in the time of the latter rain, the showers of grace may fall upon us. At every meeting we attend, our prayers should ascend that at this very time, God will impart warmth and moisture to our souls. Friday night we talked about praying. Have you spent your time in camp praying that God will really pour out His moisture, warmth and moisture to our souls? 
It's very important to have a burden for souls, but we can't generate that of ourselves. Only God can place that burden on our hearts. And if we don't feel that burden for souls that Christ felt, pray and ask for it. Say, Lord, lay on my heart the burden of souls. Realize the value of one soul. Every 3.6 seconds, we read, somebody dies in the world. Now we're told, as we seek God for the Holy Spirit, it will work in us meekness, humbleness of mind, and conscious dependence upon God for the perfecting latter reign. If we pray for the blessing in faith, we shall receive it as God has promised. You know that God wants to pour out on us his latter reign more than we want it? Like I said, we forget about some of these statistics sometimes. Heaven is keeping a faithful record. And heaven is not very pleased with the sight that it sees. And we promise, the wonderful promise, if we pray for the blessing in faith, we shall receive it as God has promised. Have you been praying for that blessing in faith? And if you haven't, I pray that through this message that we heard, through some of these things that we shared, you will realize a little more the condition of the world that we're in. And we have a measure of responsibility. You know, have you ever wondered and thought, what must the angels think of us when we sometimes appear so careless as to the condition of the world and that people are dying every second while we have the cure in our pockets? Now you might be thinking, is this brother trying to make us feel uncomfortable by sharing some of these things? Yes, exactly. I really want you to feel uncomfortable because brothers and sisters, we're getting too comfortable. We're getting way too comfortable and thinking that somebody else will do it. And if only through discomfort we will wake up and do something, then by all means, let us feel uncomfortable and do something. Because the world is dying and the responsibility is on our shoulders. This is why we have camp meetings. This is why we come together. It's good to come and fellowship and come and catch up with friends, but this is not the primary reason why we come together. We're coming together because we realize that as brothers and sisters, believers, we have a task that is before us that is impossible to accomplish in our power, and that is preaching the gospel to the world. Do we really want the end to come or not? That's a question we have to ask ourselves. I'll ask you a question. What is 1.2 million kilometers long it could wrap itself around the earth 30 times and it grows an additional 30 kilometers longer with every passing day. That's pretty long, isn't it? That's the line of people on earth who do not know Jesus. That's a lot of people. That's just to illustrate it, just so we can visualize that. What are you who believe the true gospel doing about it? We need to realize and wake up to the time in which we are living in. We're living in the time when the end of all things is at hand. And if we indeed want the end to come, as Christ has said, he told us. Let's come to Mark chapter 16 and just read that together. Mark chapter 16, Jesus speaking to his disciples, that's every one of us. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach 
the gospel to every creature. That's a lot of creatures who are standing in line waiting to hear the gospel. Do you realize the task that is before us? Do you really want the end to come? We have to realize that it's not in our own power and it's not the job of someone else. Someone else won't do it. We just saw that not having the true gospel eliminates everyone else from being able to accomplish this task. We need to be honest with ourselves and examine our hearts and ask for a deeper conversion experience, a deeper burden for souls, and say, Lord, here am I, use me. We need thy power to reach the world. Only then will the end come. Do you really want the end to come? I really pray, and as I ask you now, we're going to close in prayer together, to really examine your hearts. And as we pray together, I won't ask for hands or decisions, but I want you to examine yourself and say, Lord, perhaps I did not realize that before. Perhaps I'm happy to be reminded of what is before us. And we need to draw closer together in order to accomplish that task. The disciples united all together to fulfill Christ's commission. He told them, listen, go and preach to every creature the gospel. And they all came together and they started praying and asking for God's power to do that. This is why we come together at camp meetings. This is why we say, you know what, let us pray in order to fulfill that commission of Christ. So as we need to pray now, I want you to pray in your heart with me. And we're going to have a moment of silent prayer as we all pray together and ask, not for our sakes, but for the sake of these people and for the sake of our dear Savior who feels every pang of pain in every one of his creatures. And let us ask for the promised blessing and especially ask by confession of sin and consecrating ourselves to God that God will bring to our attention those things that we need to remove out of the way that are hindering the outpouring of his blessing. Because every second, the world population is growing and our task is getting more difficult. If you were blessed by this message, remember to subscribe and share it with others. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Your prayers and support are appreciated. May God richly bless you through His Son, Jesus.